0: Peshapaila upgrade announcement includes a proposal for self-destruct. If you are curious to know what it has to do with the upcoming upgrade, stay with us. Welcome to P Paneep episode 102, I'm Pooja Ranjan. Today we will be discussing EIP 6049, Deprecate Self-Destruct. In next hour or so, we will learn what this proposal is all about, why it is included in Chapella upgrade official announcement blog post, and more about the proposal. EIP 6049 is a meta EIP proposed in November 2022. In my mind, this is one-of-a-kind proposal, and it reached the final status very quickly. To provide you an overview of the proposal, we are joined by one of the most popular authors of Ethereum EIP repository, who has also authored EIP 6049. Please welcome William Entryken.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining.
1: All right, so this I'm going to share the screen too so we can talk about it.
0: Yeah, for people who aren't aware, William authored over a dozen of EIPs, including Meta, Informational, Standard Track, Core, and ERC. Most of them are already in finance status. So if you have missed earlier, check out episode 58 on ERC 721 on peep and e-playlist at Ethereum Catheders YouTube. Thank you again for joining us, William. And without further ado, let's peep in.
1: All right. So 6049 is it's the one that got pissed. There's a lot of other people talking about this and we'll get into what is self-destruct and how this works. But I wanna recognize that this is, yes, this is a very small EAP and it does a very specific thing. And the reason why it got pissed is because we have consensus. So one strategy that you wanna use in EAPs, in life, in business, in politics, is you wanna find the things people agree on and get that done first. Even if it's just a stepping stone and that was what we achieved here today. There's a lot of different opinions, and there's a lot of different paths forward to go from here, but there is one thing we agree on, and it is that self-destruct is a problem. All right, so that's the background. I guess we can get into meta and all this stuff later, don't forget, but let's just get into the meat of it. The problem we have is something called self-destruct. Self-destruct is an opcode. This is a very low-level instruction. It's the lowest level instruction that smart contracts can do. So when you, you can add, you can call, you can send your pictures of cats, you can do all these different things. One of the features that any smart contract can do is it can destroy itself. This used to be called something else. We don't call it that anymore. And it would take any ether that's left over in that smart contract, it would send it somewhere else. And the contract itself, its code, its storage would be gone permanently. And this is an interesting idea it makes a lot of sense that this was added originally in the, in the yellow paper. So you can create a smart contract. Why can't you destroy a self-contract? It's symmetrical. It makes a lot of sense. You can create a smart contract. You can give it ether. You can, tokens, that's a higher level thing, but you can put storage into it and then destructing it wraps all that up. In fact, I did some research on what are one of the very oldest, let's see if I can find this. I was reviewing the very first smart contracts on Ethereum one by one, decompiling, reading code. And we were looking, we were looking, we were in a hunt for what is the first NFT. So here's the blog post. And I was just looking at bytecode from the original contracts and just seeing what they are. One of the very earliest contracts includes this feature called self-destruct. Again, it was called something else back then if you look at the source code. But you can look this up and you can see these contracts were made and then they can be destroyed. And I guess maybe the thought was, if we have it cleaned up, then we can maybe preserve the sto- available storage space, preserve people's hard drives. It just, it just made a lot of sense. So I'm giving you the historical perspective. Now, there's some problems with that. One, and actually from the beginning, it was a great idea also, because we didn't know what storage was gonna cost. Remember the cost of storage has gone up and down. Back then it was megabytes to hold the entire state tree for Ethereum. Now it's you know, in terabytes. It's just a different, you know, this thing has grown a little bit since it came out. Now, the problems are well known. Self-destruct is a one-time operation that has a one-time cost. That's called O of one, big O in notation, right? So that means you're gonna pay one specific cost to perform a self-destruct. However, the effect, the actual amount of things that are changed on change, changed on chain are unbounded. So that's O of N. So if you've got a very large smart contract, It can do lots of things and it can have lots of storage, but then one call to self-destruct changes all of the storage to zero effectively. And that's a problem because as we've seen before in Ethereum, you can create an attack with, whether the attack is practical or not, it's just, it's generally, we've seen bad problems where there's an O of one cost and an O of an effect. And so this is one, I don't know if it's academic or practical, I don't don't really care, but this is a well-known and. Nobody disagrees on that. We, we know this is a problem philosophically and maybe even practically. Okay, other things. There are other problems with self-destruct contracts specifically related to create two. So let's pull up another IP. We wanna reference that, create two. Create two is a new type of way that you can create smart contracts and they go at a specific location. So you know what the location of the smart contract is gonna be before you make it. That is true or not true when you're using normal create, because when you use normal create, it just takes the nth contract that you've made and puts the nth one at a specific spot. What create2 does is it makes, it's, it's more based on not who made it, but what's in it. And so the whole point of this, well, there's a few points, but one of the important points is counterfactuals. So it's a threat, so you can, threaten the creation of a smart contract without actually deploying it and that's really important for a lot of things but i'll just explain it and i won't tell you why it's important so much so what you might do is you might have a slashing or some side chain or some zero knowledge proof thing or just imagine some other stuff out there and it's going to if there's a problem it's going to put five ether in a specific address there's no smart contract there but you're just programming it in a way where it will go to a specific address now the world could know What would be there if you deploy the smart contract? Because we could use create two and we could put something there and then then it would exist. And the way that smart contracts work with pre-funding, you could put five ether there and then you could go create the smart contract. It would have the five ether, and it could do stuff. Why would you wanna use that? For example, you might say, well, I don't wanna spend time creating all these smart contracts, but we'll make slashing. And if you slash it, we'll go to this specific address and you know and I know what would happen if that ether got there. So don't do anything bad because you know what would happen to that ether, kind of like a threat. Why don't you just send it to you specifically? Because that's not programmable. It's not not programmable, and it's not composable. So you can't do other stuff. You might say, oh, well, we're going to have an agreement. And if things go south, I need you to pay me five ether. We build that in somewhere. Okay, that's cool. But that only works between you and me. If we need a lot of people to be agreeing to something, we might say, "Okay." We want the 5 e to go to this specific place. The smart contract's going to do these things, and it's not going to benefit me specifically. You don't have to trust me. You just have to trust the code. So that's kind of the composable future that we're building. And this depends on there being specific code at a specific place. Well, this also opened up another thing, and I don't think this is discussed here. There's a good blog post. I don't have it ready. But when Create2 is happening, when you're allowed to choose the address that a smart contract goes to, that also means we have polymorphic smart contracts, and that's that's bad, that's boo, boo emoji, right? So that means you could deploy code here, and then it could self-destruct, the code's gone, and you could deploy something else there, and that's bad. If my opinions weren't known, I believe that gradable contracts, that's, that's bad. Diamond contract, I think that's bad unless you're using it just for composability, not for mutability, we don't like bad, mutable contracts. If you want to use mutable contracts, go use Flow. We're talking about Ethereum today. And so we just want to deploy once and we want to trust what is written there. Create two and self-destruct is a known problem. There's a good blog post about this. I hope we can find it. But, um, yeah, you don't want to deploy a smart contract, delete it, and then deploy another one that's different. That is a problem. So these are the two main problems with self-destruct. Now, whenever you make a big change, like getting rid of self-destruct, which we'll look at some of the proposals, this is going to affect a lot of different people. So let's stop there. What do you think about it? What's the understanding of how it works so far?
0: I think this is a great explanation of self-destruct. This definitely helps us understand why people don't want it, like why Ethereum developers don't want self-destruct at this point of time. My question to you would be like, this is... on protocol level, implemented on the protocol level long ago. So many projects may have used it in their application. What kind of applications may have used this and what effect that would bring if this has to be discontinued?
1: Yep, so the practical applications and the practical problems we would have are A, polymorphic smart contracts. That's where somebody expected the contract to change. And that is not the worst way to do an upgradable contract. There's other ways to do upgrades. Unfortunately, and they all use proxies as really the popular way to do it. So if you do it one way, you have a proxy. You have a proxy, and then every time you run the smart contract, you have to go delegate that to an implementation. It's a very popular way to do it. We have proxy, proxy beacons, Open Zeppelin Contracts has implemented this. A lot of people use it. There's an EIP around this as well. And this is inefficient because you have to go find the implementation. Personally, I think upgradable contracts need to die in a fiery hell. That's a different problem. you know. But if people are doing that, another way, a better way would be mutable contracts. So you could just make a contract, destruct it, and then add another version. I have not done the research to go see if people are actually doing that. And the problem with Ethereum is that you know all you have to do is delete one of the beacon proxies for one of the things that's one of the things and then DeFi breaks and then basically it's a huge, huge disaster. We've learned about this from the DAO, the, the capital D, the DAO, this is the type of problems. You've got something that points to something else, you're not paying attention, somebody deletes that other thing, and then there's big, big problems. So because Ethereum has the history of with the DAO and taking these considerations thoughtfully, this, the, idea, the problem is that even if these things are possible, we really wanna be sure that we're not hurting people before we go ahead and do this. And really one of the ways to just do this research would just be to make this change retroactively and see have any of the previous contracts ever been affected. One of the ones I'll, I'll even tell you is I've got this blog post here and I think I found the first NFT ever. It's like one of the first 10 smart contracts ever deployed. And the smart contract has a feature where anybody can just take it. So actually now I stole it and I'm the owner of this NFT. And it has another feature where anybody can destroy the smart contract. And so trolling, maybe, people were saying, well, if we get rid of the ability to destroy smart contracts, that will forever enshrine me as the owner of this NFT because nobody can destroy that smart contract. Whereas today, anybody who's reading, you could just go ahead and you can delete it and I will no longer own the world's oldest NFT on Ethereum, I mean that, right? So, you know, tongue in cheek, but there are little effects like that. I don't care, you can delete it, you cannot delete it, nobody's deleted it yet, I'm still the owner, whatever. But there might be other things that are more consequential than me owning an NFT out there. And we really want to look into that, but that is the practical implication here.
0: Right. So I'm curious, like this is one of a kind proposal as I was mentioning in the beginning of the talk. Generally speaking, when we are doing anything, when we are planning to make some changes on Ethereum protocol level, it is introduced as a core EIP and that considered as as a part of upcoming upgrades. But EIP 6049, it is being considered for ShaPela upgrade. I mean, it is already existing in the list of proposals in update.md file, like Shanghai.md file, but yet it's not a core proposal. What was your motivation behind documenting this proposal?
1: Great question. And great that you noticed this and, and great understanding the consequence here. So a core EIP changes the way that the clients communicate. That will be on the execution layer, or back in the day, we would just say the client, right? So at the execution layer, the bits and bytes of the transaction coming in and the state results in a new state. That's there's a, the, the F function in the yellow paper, right? So there's a function that takes the inputs and gives you a new output. This does not change that. The yellow paper will not change the required functional output as a result of this. However, the yellow paper will add a warning. It will say, You shouldn't do this. And that is what we're specifying here. We're specifying that you should not do this. And here's why. And here's why this is an important thing. One, it's easier to get a meta pass through than a core. So people have disagreed on how we're going to change this. People agree that we want to change this. But there's no consensus on what we're going to do. But there is consensus that we need to stop using self-destruct going forward. That was what was agreed upon. And that is what is codified in EIP 6049. So the agreement, the minimal vi- the minimum viable product here, the, th- the thing we shipped was the agreement that you should not use this going forward. Why is that important? Just like I said, with the create two and the upgradable contracts and the, okay, create two plus self-destruct plus polymorphic contracts is cheaper and you should use that theoretically today instead of open Zeppelin contracts proxy pattern. It's just, it's just a better, cheaper way. And people aren't using that. So if somebody realizes that, they're like, oh, I should go start using self-destruct now because it's going to give me what I want. We want to stop that. So we don't want people going forward to use this. In fact, you know, we just spelled it out there and it, by, by with this peep and eep, putting it in the yellow paper, putting it in the upgrade notice. We're putting you on notice that if you do this, we don't care about messing with you when we change this later. So effectively, what we've done is we have, a, we have a lower bound and an upper bound on the transactions, the, the block numbers that we're gonna look about before we change this. So there's, there's X smart contracts gonna be deployed to the the main the net main, I guess is the one that matters, as of a certain date. We're only gonna care about those smart contracts because there's a problem with a new EIP. If you have an EIP coming out and you're like, oh, we're gonna, just, we're gonna change this behavior. Well, you've also gotta consider not just how is it gonna affect past people, but how is it gonna affect people during the time that you're considering and debating this, which could be years. So, you know what I mean? Like you're chasing a moving target here. So you might get very close to the finish line with this new EIP saying, we're gonna just remove this function. We're gonna remove this bytecode for self-destruct. But in that meantime, in those two years, maybe not open Zeppelin contracts, maybe somebody else switched and now everybody's using it. And so you would have an EIP, you would have agreement, everybody thinks this is a good idea, you've got science, you did research, you've deployed things, you've, you've downloaded the entire history of the smart contracts and you're like, okay, this isn't gonna affect anybody that we researched. And then you'd launch it and you're like, oh, since the research, new people are starting using it. Like that's a problem. So by putting people on notice, I think it will be easier going forward to debate and finalize one of these decisions. This is not the end of the discussion. EIP 2049 just puts people on notice, so we can limit the damage that we're going to do potentially with one of these other EIPs. I don't think this approach has been done before. I'm I'm around here to you know push the push the envelope, and I'm learning with EIPs. You know I'm I'm learning with you at the same time. How do we get consensus on things? How do we get things agreed upon? You know everything's politics. Everything's you know three people, two people is a debate. Three people is politics, right? So. Politically, this was the one that got passed, and you know I'm happy about that. I'm happy that we were able to limit the damage, and now we can constructively figure out what is the bigger action we're going to take.
0: I think you have documented quite a few proposals, including meta proposals. I can see the list here, like you have worked on a hard fork meta for Spurious Dragon, and there is one more upgrade-related proposal that you may have worked on why did you choose meta eip for this because generally when we are trying to share any information it is informational eip and this is not like a part of like the meta eip used to be earlier so why meta eip
1: yeah it's weird because the the actual i mean i wanted it to be a core honestly you know cores are fancy right and it's a different process but the result needs to change the yellow paper so in one interpretation of the word core EIP, that means you need to change the source code of the client. The client needs to change or the execution line or whatever. Okay, so that's one interpretation of the word core. I was taking a more expansive word and I was thinking anything that changes the yellow paper needs to be core. People didn't agree, I don't care. So meta was the one that, that worked information is good too. And honestly, I think there's, you know, there could be a debate on which one's appropriate and really that, you know, I, I think it, it could have been core. That's a choice. Info's a choice. Meta's a choice. And this is kind of just where it landed. We, we are, we are in the company of other meta EIPs, which is up there with EIP one, you know, this is a guideline. So if we look at 6049, is that, you know, is that a guideline? If if we look at other informational ones, I can't see like that, but really it doesn't matter. You know, I think this is like, I think this is the consideration when in math class we're doing geometry in third grade. You know, it's like a point, you know, a circle, a point is a circle. It just has radius zero. So, you know, I think this is a degenerate case of, mathematically speaking, this is a degenerate case of meta, core and info EIPs.
0: Right. I mean, I have seen a few proposals which are on the EAP repository as of now. Some of them are in stagnant status, some I, I think in review and draft status as well. So generally speaking, those proposals which are with core category defined, they are there to make changes to the consensus and eventually will make changes to the yellow paper. Generally, we update yellow paper after the upgrade. So that was already in place. So having this EIP, what advantage do we see, like advantage or maybe relationship that we see with the rest of the self-destruct EIPs we have on repository.
1: Yeah, so I welcome all of the other EIPs to proceed. And so we can look at them in a second. I, I believe that what I've done here is just limit the damage. And I will, and this, you know, EIP 6049 will allow these other ones to go forward more fearlessly. So by having the agreement that we should not be, that smart contract authors should not be using self-destruct going forward, we can more fearlessly in the future disable that feature. So by being fearless, it makes these things move faster. And so I'm looking for a core EIP to proceed. I can recommend one of these and we can look at them all. I will recommend it. And then, you know, people will debate the relative merits of each one as well. Just throwing my weight behind and pushing one of them did not solve the problem. The problem is we're really going in an unknown direction here because this is a big change. So I wanted to give clarity and allow fearless, you know, path forward.
0: I think that makes sense. And then this proposal is in final status. It is like kind of a standard people have to follow. And this has now been added as a part of announcement. So we are trying to give a heads up to Dapp developers for the upcoming changes. All right, talking about this changes, like as you mentioned that you may be able to support what are the possibility of having one of these core proposals being included in maybe the Cancun upgrade, the upcoming upgrade right after Shanghai?
1: Let's check it out. So here's one example. X clear for self-destruct. So this proposal is specifically addressing the O1-ON O1 problem. So we have the O1 cost, O-N effect. And the way that this works is that the self-destruct will not clear storage and then there's a new opcode called extclear which will remove specific storage so this addresses the unbounded amount so that's o of n versus o of 1 cost and so th- this is this is a couple this is a big change these are these are big changes in the way these things work the self destruct here would just be getting rid of the code not the storage this empowers the create to reincarnation proxy pattern by retaining storage during an upgrade That's an important idea too. Do you wanna retain storage? People wanna upgrade smart contracts, they wanna keep storage. That's why they're using proxy pattern. This would empower that new feature by not deleting the storage. I mean, this is a cool idea. It does resolve one of the issues, the O1, ON problem. And one of the, I don't know if it's a downside or a concern here, is that it's materially changing. It's keeping storage that previously would have been destroyed. So there may possibly be an exploit somewhere if this is implemented because it's 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 allowing new storage in a place that previously there would not have been storage so that's that's a big thing however it's very practical so this paper does address the problem that there exists and the way to use this self destruct that we don't like for something more productive personally i think this is a new opcode i think this should be a new opcode for what they're proposing here because this is a different behavior but then again if you know if you have an opcode that nobody's using does it matter to reuse it. I don't know. I have a feeling that if this were going to be passed, it would be a new opcode for the new behavior. Another one, we have deactivate self-destruct. So the idea is to change it into send all, which recovers the, the ether, I don't like that word, but does not delete the code or the storage. Vitalik is a co-author on this, as well as and Dangran Feist. So this is simpler. So it's less features of self-destruct and it still addresses, this one also addresses the O1, ON problem. We have O1 cost and O1 effect. The O1 effect is just sending ether. So this one is straightforward and it doesn't remove the code. So if the code is not gone, that means that you cannot re with a different value, with a different smart contract. And remember Vitalik is the one, was the author of the create two. So he kind of brought these polymorphic smart contracts into the world, and he's taken them out by not allowing smart contracts to reuse the same address with different code. So this addresses the polymorphic contracts, which I'm a a fan of not having polymorphic contracts, as you know. It addresses the O of 1. So we have two of them that address the O of 1. And that's it. I'd like to see the rationale section here to be improved to discuss some of these things we're talking about right now. This is Right. Yeah. Looking at that. So there's I think there's a lot more. These if you're going to if in the year 2023, you're going to make a proposal about getting rid of self-destruct. I would like to see a longer EIP. So I've been a fan lately of some very short, hard hitting EIPs. This is really easy to describe why we're going to deprecate something, but it's a lot harder to describe why you're not going to delete code. You know, you got to justify more because that's a bigger change What what they're doing. So either one of these, I'd like to see a lot more in the EIP itself as it's written, okay? Verkle-compatible self-destruct. So, Verkle will be the new storage construct. Verkle replaces Merkle trees for the tree, TRIE. And the way Verkle is gonna work, it's gonna use a witness. Wave my hands here. Basically, we're gonna use zero-knowledge proofs to verify storage instead of trees, which are log two of this the state tree, right? So this is, This is the brave new world of zero knowledge proofs, getting closer and closer to Ethereum. If you've been reading any of these EIPs, you know that (laughs) there's a lot of people thinking about this stuff and it's finally coming together. And so of course there will be a vertical self-destruct proposal here. You know, it's a big problem related to another change, you know, bring these together. So abstract, self-destruct only causes a finite number of state changes, okay? Self-destruct has a fixed price unbounded storage. So this is the O1, ON problem. The vertical trees will be organized differently. So the problem here is that even if you wanted to go delete all these storage locations, it will be harder under vertical trees than it would be under the existing storage mechanism. So this EIP is going to help with the storage future under vertical trees. So this one is going to change so that we kind of have a nonce Cookie, what do we call this? And we're going to have a specific storage thing that we're going to plop in there to, what's a set? sorry, sentry value. We're going to use a sentry value of zero one for the contract's code. And we're going to have a sentry value for the nonce. And we're going to set this so that we can identify things that have been destructed. So this is kind of a, a trick, you know, you're writing code, you've got a zero, and then you've got like a not initialized. So you've got to have like a special not initialized thing that's not zero. That's what's going on here. We've got the sub code. So this is, if the contract was self-destructed, if the call, the zero with, so they're going to put some storage specifically, we're going to, we're, this is a hack, right? So we're going to use the storage in the smart contract. We're going to use the code. We're going to put not century values in there and we're going to identify if this thing has been self-destructed. Just working within the limitations you have to get the effect that you want. This makes sense too. It's pretty straightforward. Again, way more required discussion on backwards compatibility to do this. Okay, so this is, I think this is more mechanical in the way that this is written, but cool and definitely forward thinking. Last one replace self destruct with deactivate. So change self destruct. To not delete storage keys and use a special value for the nonce. Okay, so we're hearing that again to signal deactivation. Change self-destruct and not delete storage keys and use a special value. Okay, because of the semantics. We also rename it to deactivate. So when you're changing the behavior, again, we're renaming something, and if it's if it's a big enough change, you might want to have a different opcode for that. Change the rules. So the regular nonce is increased. So they want to jump over a specific nonce. EIP 2681 has a limit on nonces, I believe. Yep. So we want to, so that, that actually, you don't need to do that because you can just pick a high number. You don't need to add a bit there. Nobody's going to use this many of anything. The Behavior of self-destruct is changed. Does not delete storage. It leaves the account in place. Transfer the account balance to the target. Set the balance to zero, okay. We're gonna use a special value for the nods. We give no refund because the refunds are reduced. The rules of how self-destruct works is unchanged, gas changes, okay, not affected. Modify the account execution so that the execution succeeds, returns an empty empty buffer. So it's basically gonna say that it's empty. Basically, we're gonna treat it as an empty account. And it looks like this is going to prevent redeploying on top of that because there's gonna already be code there and nonce, this is not nearly enough words. Contract authors must be aware and design accordingly. That is not enough words on this topic. Yeah. This looks actually very similar to uh, deactivate. So we have deactivate and then, well, those are both called deactivate. I've also seen another proposal, but I don't see an EIP, so maybe it didn't make it to drift, which was just to no-op self-destruct. It just doesn't do anything. That one didn't go anywhere. So basically, Really, some of these considerations don't matter as much. I really don't think, is it? I'm not sure if the execution layer, if you're allowed to just query these. Okay, so maybe that's the problem, is that we're really concerned about the JSON ABI. If you have the JSON API and you have a full node, they can actually query the storage state of anything. You can just pick a storage state and query it. And so right now, if you do self destruct and you query it, you get nothing. It's just zero, right? Because the storage is gone, default is zero. You're querying, you're getting a zero response. So these proposals, if you're not deleting it, then theoretically, the JSON API should return that number when you get it. So that's really changing the semantics here. I think that when we change these things, we should keep the semantics of when something's been destroyed, the needs to return a zero, needs to return a zero somewhere. Now, I think some of the reason we have so many different ideas here is because Probably these EIPs are—they're probably wrong. These EIPs are focused more on the implementation than the desired outcomes that we need. We don't specify implementations; we specify outcomes. If we just say, "Hey, when you have a zero of one operation like self-destruct, and all the storage states are going to change," that's something—you know—that's that's an implementation problem. That it's a zero of n effect. There's another way to implement this where it's just zero of one effect. The way you do that is you just put a nonce or a secret value or whatever, and you don't even specify any of this. You can just say, you can just go down here into the rationale and say, look, maybe today there's an attack or there's a problem because there's a zero of one cost and a zero of an effect, but that's an implementation problem. That's not my problem. You can fix this in other ways. Here's a potential solution. Here's another potential solution. That's your problem, core you go You go dev this and make this work. But there are solutions here and we're not gonna specify them. We will specify that this is changing and this is changing. We are specifying that you can't redeploy the same address. That's something that can be specified. That definitely requires a zero of one effect, at least, not a zero of zero. And so there will be some effect here, but it's not zero of N, O of N, zero of N. It's not O of N effect here. And so, so yeah, so really, if you, if you consider that, these are looking more similar than they are different right now. Anyway. Mm-hmm. The main point here is that there's a lot more discussion that needs to be written down. All of these need to have the same backwards compatibility and rationale points to If considered. These will be seriously considered in review stage or beyond. We need to have all these points considered for rational and backwards compatibility.
0: Right. So we have quite a few proposals with different ideas, maybe different implementation use cases for consideration But as we know that an upgrade, when we are making an upgrade on Ethereum blockchain, there are a lot of things to be considered. So if we have to put it, um, put self-destruct maybe on a priority list, where do you see if we have a set of proposals for EVM improvement, set of proposals for maybe scalability, and then this, of course, other self-destruct. Where would you put it on a priority list and how important it is to be considered for the upcoming or the recent most upgrade?
1: This is only effective. So this is a prerequisite. So prerequisites are automatically number one priority before something else, right? So this is a prerequisite for scalability, depending on how we're scaling. And when I say scalability, I'm talking about side chains. If Ethereum ever has an official L2, which I think it should, but it probably won't, or a supports various distributed side chains, then having these counterfactuals will probably be a component of that. And that is something that needs to be baked into the sauce here, right? So if we're going to do that, then we cannot have mutable contracts. That's, that's a problem with that. Or they'll just have to be built a certain way. But I, I think it's a really, okay, so I'm going, to, I'm going to debate what I said. It would be a really nice to have, not a priority one, it'd be a really nice to have self-destructs dead, the way they are today, before we have sidechains. If the sidechains are gonna work using counterfactuals, which they probably will. Otherwise, honestly, we've kind of let some of the steam out. It really doesn't matter as much. So people are aware of these issues. We know that there's problems and we know that if you launch a new smart contract, that it's going to possibly change the way it works. And honestly, that kind of solves a lot of the problem. So I'm not saying, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back here, I'm not saying our work is done. I'm just saying that we, and it's not really like we bought time, it's just that we've removed some of the practical problems with self-destruct that existed a few months ago and no longer exist now. Those practical problems of people not, people walking on lava and not knowing that they're walking on lava, that problem's gone. People saying, oh, I thought I was building on this, and this makes sense, and you're rug pulling me, that problem's gone. Because when the L.P. people says, warning, now it's their problem. You know we can't be responsible for customers that are not reading the documentation. You know there's an XKCD for that. So we put it in there. They're responsible. And now, if it turns out that none of the existing universe of smart contracts are affected, then practically we're mostly solved. So zero doesn't matter at all. Zero priority, not Unix priority. Like bottom of the list. Zero, no priority. And then if we're doing side chains then it's a pretty nice to have.
0: Right, and I think the next upgrade, Cancun upgrade, will be mostly centered towards EAP 4844 that we are trying to come up with for solving the issue of, you know, with with the concept of blob. So probably it's a good thing to have in place and hopefully one of these proposals make room to the Cancun upgrade. Cool. Well, I have you on this call today, and I know you are an experienced author. You have written um, proposal for, I think, four out of the six different types and categories that we have, like we have four under standard track and meta and informational. So what do you think in general, maybe a couple of good points about the present process, if there are any, and a couple of points that needs to be improved sooner the better.
1: You're giving me stage about the EIPs in general?
0: Yeah, of course, wow. you, right. go ahead.
1: you give me the mic, that's your problem. All right, so one of the concerns I have is regarding EIPs is there's a lot of innovation coming and we need a lot of eyeballs on these things. There's, there's a debate right now going on in the community of whether EIPs and ERCs should be separated. So I guess we're gonna to touch that a little bit. And my side on this argument is that we are one community and we need a lot of eyeballs specifically over the next year if we're doing sharding side chains, any of this stuff and i'm cheating one way to get more eyeballs is to bring all these erc authors and erc world into this and i'm the one who gave us the rss feed so we have an rss feed here please sign up for the rss feed this is how you'll know about new IIPs. we also have a we have an rss feed here we also have an email button so i rewrote the homepage for ips that's there's a pr for that Hopefully by the time you're watching this video, there'll be an email button and you can just get email updates because not everybody uses RSS, right? So we need to get more eyeballs on this and we need to consider the technical aspects, the non-technical aspects. We really need to just get these core AIPs in more eyeballs in front of more eyeballs, right? So I have an interest right now in doing that. Why do I think that? Well, We had an EIP that was aborted in the past. That was a change of the storage costs. There was an EIP proposed, it was announced on the blog, on blog.ethereum.org, it was scheduled, it was coming, and then 24 hours before that, it was aborted. That is a disaster. We cannot be telling people not to upgrade their clients 24 hours before a major production change. That demonstrates that there was not enough pre-work into this. Now, I know that we've learned from this incident, and we would have learned a lot more if we you know, had a serious forking problem and uncles and whatever from a failed upgrade. But because of Ethereum 2, or what do we call it right now, the consensus layer, which is separated, right? Because of what we have now and because of slashing, we can't make this mistake ever again. So we had training wheels before. In the past with Ethereum, if you made a mistake, like we almost did with that one and we aborted it, and you have two different networks. Those two networks live, and then one of them dies. Does that make sense? I'm going to build on that point. If you've got a change, some people upgrade and some people don't, or there's a serious problem with the upgrade, then you can abort one of the networks and the other one lives. Same network ID, same chain ID. That point's really important. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely, yes.
1: Okay, so now that we have slashing, you can't do that. When you have a network fork, you go this way, other people go this way, you get slashed. That is a problem. You lose all your ether, right? That is a major problem. And because all of our staking is done by these large groups like Coinbase and other centralized parties, they're gonna decide the future of Ethereum because they're the ones who are gonna get slashed you know, on behalf of everybody if they mess up. So we cannot ever have a fork going forward. There's no more forking in Ethereum. There will never ever be another hard fork in Ethereum. What we're doing are called upgrades. They're not hard forks. Maybe they're hard forks. There's no more branching. There's one path forward, right? Because of Ethereum 2 that we have today and because of the slashing, we cannot make this mistake ever again, which means we can't mess up ever again. The training wheels are off. If we mess up, this will be hundreds of billions of dollars lost. So the way that we don't mess up is we go more carefully and we have more eyeballs. And we consider things that are technical, like, hey, how do I implement vertical trees? That's technical. Or not technical. Things like, wow, you told me all this nerd stuff, but transactions are going to clear one second slower. That's a serious problem because this is a diversity of thought that we need. Core developers might not think of the difference between seven second or eight second block times. But somebody's written a paper, somebody who doesn't contribute to the code in the core IPs, but understands the difference between seven-second, eight-second block times might have some paper about the amount of time it takes light to go around the earth and times or that, you know, the, the block time. the block times have a, a, a major impact on security and some other things. And we need these people talking together. I'm just making up an example. That might be a poor example. But there will be some situation where core developers are building something and other people are affected and their communication would be really appreciated. If we fork EIPs into EIPs and ERCs today before all these big changes that'd be a problem and correction it would lead to less eyeballs and that would be the problem and so I'm against forking this right now I want to see everybody get through these big changes we have going forward and I'd like to see ethereum have an L2 network or side chains or something and we have to do this together and really at that point we don't even need EIPs anymore because ethereum will be done. You know, this is not like a forever project. There's a reason that we have the the upgrade difficulty bomb. It's because we wanted this work to get done. We know it needs to get done. We have to do it. And then we kick the can a little bit, but then it gets done. So there shouldn't be more work to do. We will get to that point. And then at that point, this discussion becomes moot because there's just less things to change. And now everything's at the application layer. Bitcoin already reached that point. People on Bitcoin are not discussing, oh, application standards, we've got Bitcoin ordinals. That's about the biggest improvement that we've had, the biggest innovation we've had at the application layer on top of Bitcoin. And we had block sizes, like that's it. That's a mature protocol. Ethereum's gonna get there and pretty soon too.
0: Awesome. These are quite wonderful thoughts. And I would like to touch on a couple of points. One point that you mentioned is the communication of the core EIPs and people who are not actually involved in creating those EIPs or maybe in implementation part. So recently what we have done, like we have added a a special tag, which is called network upgrade tag for the discussion on discussion forum, fellowship of ethereum magician, where at the time when the proposal is proposed, the proposal Discussion link will have that tag. So people will know in advance that this proposal is under discussion for the upcoming upgrade. So anyone on the forum, including all developers, project developers and decentralized app developers, they can come and share their thoughts. So we are trying to open this communication channel between the people who are implementing it on the core protocol and people who are maybe ultimately the user of these protocols for their respective projects and on the on the topic of forking of eip and erc i definitely in agreement with you that at the moment what we need is having more eyeballs so if we are trying to split the repository we are literally splitting taking half of the people out of the repository to take a look on whatever is being proposed for the improvement of the ethereum chain well, I think it's a long discussion and we will see what happens in future, but uh, thanks for all your suggestions, but we will try to incorporate a few of them to maybe make the process even better in future. Great. Well, it's time to wrap up. Any final thing that you would like to add or share with the Ethereum community to this yeah, talk today?
1: No, I think you just got to stay tuned. You got to sign up for the blog. You got to sign up on their last calls feed and just read through this stuff. You know, peep and eep is we're talking about technical things, but they're not technical things. They affect everybody and they're, they're pretty clear. So don't be intimidated by any of this stuff. Listen through these podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube to a peep and eep, right? Just listen through. And, you know, th- these are changes, right? These are changes. So the changes will get slower. So just just watch them. Just see what's how you're affected and then get back to work.
0: William, we really appreciate you taking our time to share about this meta E6049 Deprecate Self-Destruct with the release of this episode. My hope is that it will help DAP developers to pay attention to the warning and consider removing code for their respective projects if they haven't done it already. And uh, on this note, thanks to everyone watching or listening to the Shapela special episode. Should you have any question, let us know in the form available in description or leave a comment. Reach us at discord. Check out description for links to useful resources and guest Twitter to follow. We'll be back with another interesting proposal overview soon. Till then, keep watching, keep sharing your love with Ethereum catherders. Thank you so much.